just a heads up, everyone, these are adults having adult conversations, so there is the possibility of adult language. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Magic Lessons, a podcast produced by MaximumFun.org and Riverhead Books. I'm Elizabeth Gilbert, and I just wrote this book called Big Magic, Creative Living Beyond Fear. But even when I was finished with the book, I didn't feel like I was really finished with the subject. So I wanted to make this podcast where I could take the subject of creativity out into the world and have real conversations with real people about it. And that's where magic lessons come from. And what are magic lessons? Roadmaps for the path to creativity, the extra nudge we need when we're feeling stuck in our creative lives. Hey everyone, welcome to Magic Lessons. I'm Liz Gilbert. In the last episode, I spoke with Betsy in Oregon. She's a painter, a ceramicist, and a high school art teacher by day. In other words, she does a lot of creativity in her life already, but she's exhausted. She told us she's simply lost the energy to create things of her own that really mean something to her in an intimate way. I gave her my take on what she might want to do, but I also wanted to talk to one of the most creative and adventurous people I know, my dear friend, the author, Rhea Elias, and get her take on the situation. Rhea Elias, I don't even have time on this podcast to lay out all the different lives that you have lived <laughs> in the course of your one life, but just to throw out a few labels, uh, Rhea is a musician, a filmmaker, a, an author, a hairdresser, a real estate agent, a former heroin addict, ex-junkie, an ex-junkie, a felon, an ex-felon, <laughs> and now model citizen. Am I leaving out anything major in Lesbian. there? Lesbian. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's your primary profession. <laughs> so listen, Ray, here's the reason I called you in, because you're my expert to talk about the case of Betsy. So Betsy wanted a magic lesson because she's actually been creative her entire life, as have you. Um, she's an art teacher. She makes art on her own. She raised her kids. She's always lived sort of an inventive and creative life. She's 55 years old. And she kind of feels like, is this it? This feeling of wanting to do something else and wondering if she has the entitlement to do it, if she has the courage to do it, what people will say. Does she have to change her whole life in order to experience her creativity in a different way? And I wanted to bring you in because I feel like you've had more different creative lives than almost anybody that I know. And I just want to start with the art that you make for yourself. You're one of the artists I admire most in the world because you truly live creatively in that, you know, and the example I'm going to give is music because I think all this stuff is cross-applicable um, in different artistic genres because it all comes from the same impulse and it all requires the same commitment and the same love and the same devotion. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you will get a little fragment of a song in your head. You will rent out a studio space. You will get a guitar player and a drummer and you will like record a song for no reason. Um, for no one but for me. For no one but you. And it's not a simple thing to do. So like when I was giving Betsy the assignment to do this artwork for herself, to have an affair with it is the words that I kept using with her. I want you to speak about what that kind of an affair can look like and feel like and where you can get the motivation to do it even when there's no audience necessarily on the other end of it. Like you've written songs no one's ever heard, but not only wrote them, Produced, produced them. them. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's one thing to like sit in your living room and 
and pick out a song on the guitar or on the piano. It's another thing to completely and fully manufacture this thing. For what? Answer that. Well, first of all, for my heart, for my soul, for my being, for creation, to take something that didn't exist, you know, yesterday and today it exists sonically somewhere, even if it's under my bed, it's still there and I can pull it out. It's so weird because I was just talking to uh, to my friend, um, Corey Clark, who's a, an amazing musician, and he... Um, he just came in and he's on tour and he spent the night on my couch last night. And so I w- we woke up this morning and I played him my three new songs that that I just recorded, right? And he was like, "Dude, do you have a record? You you gotta you you're people love you in Australia. You gotta get a you gotta get a record label there and you could tour." And I was like, "I'm not even thinking about that." And he was like, "What do you mean?" And I said. I love these songs. I said, I didn't make them to put them on a record. I made them because holding them in, first of all, I would either forget them, which would be a really sad state because they're amazing songs. You know, second of all, it's proof to me of my creativity. I am an artist, so I don't have to have the world see me as that. Yeah. As long as I am creating and and if I keep them in, they will eat me alive. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's my biggest fear is because I've been eaten alive by many other things before. And I've been eaten alive by my art. Yeah. You know? And now I just won't let it happen. It's like, it's only for me anyway. It's the pure pleasure of making stuff, right? Even with the book, I mean, I, yeah, you know, we had a ulterior motive, but I never really believed that that was ever going to happen. I was just doing it because I was like, oh my God, she thinks I can do it. Maybe I think I can do it, but the challenge is there, so I'm going to do it and whatever happens. And that's sort of what I think about all of my art. It's like I have a repertoire that if you and I sat and you know, and you didn't know my repertoire and I was like, let me show you <laughs> what my last 17 years, what I've done, yeah. I would be so happy and proud to pull out my movies and my music and the soundtracks and the book and the articles and all of it. That's what brings me such joy. It's like, that's the big magic. That's the big magic, man. That's the big magic. You know, that's what I work for. One of the things I love and get inspired from inspiration from you about is how much you love your work. Because I've always had a really difficult time relating to artists who can never find satisfaction in what they create. And I feel like there's this very harsh, very sort of masculine, Germanic, romantic, kind of like this sort of addiction to suffering part. But there's also just this distrust that so many people who I know who are incredible creators, where they simply refuse to ever acknowledge that they made something great. Mm. Um, And... And I always felt this kind of embarrassment, even when I was 19, 20, 21. I always liked my writing. I always liked it. I still <laughs> like it. You know, I, and, it's, and I don't think I'm Garcia Marquez. You know, it's not grandiosity. It's not that I think I'm the greatest and that I deserve a Nobel Prize. It's just that I really enjoy 
the process and I really enjoy the product and I enjoy it even when it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. um, I enjoy it even when it doesn't come out the way I wanted it to because I find it really interesting um, and really engaging. And I find that there's something deeply broken and sad about people who devote their entire life to creativity and then make these amazing things or lackluster things or halfway amazing things or cockeyed, wonky, nearly broken things. And then they're like, yeah, that doesn't, I'm not satisfied. That doesn't do anything for me. I, I wish it was different. I wish it was better. And I love that you, like, you'll call me up and you're like, dude, listen to these chords I just wrote. And they and they suck. But I'm just like, <laughs> look, it's just a little, it's just a little story that I want to tell, you know? And yeah, I mean, I, I'm just, look, I'm so inspired by other people. And I just feel blessed to have a spark within myself yeah. that I can be inspired by myself too. You know, yeah. that makes me so happy that I can be inspired by other people's creativity, but that there's enough within me that I'm like, hey, I got some too. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, I, you know. Plays well with others, plays well alone. Yeah. Um, one of the messages that I want to send to Betsy and to all the Betsies <laughs> and to all of us is, is, to try to let go of any sort of anxiety about what it means to be a successful artist. We live in a society, of course, that fetishizes success um, and also puts an enormous amount of pressure on people because success, like perfection, is something that you can never really reach mm -hmm. and you're never allowed to have or hold. It's always kind of being taken out of your hands, right? As soon as you make something great, somebody's going to come up to you and be like, well, what are you going to do next? Or this person did it even better. You know, it's, it's an anxiety-producing word. Um, you can never land on it. It's something that you chase and chase and chase or chases you. And, and I was in this conversation with somebody the other day, and he said, it was an interview, and he said to me, um, can you tell me what it feels like to be a successful writer? And, and I said, I got to tell you, man, I always felt like a successful writer. I felt like a successful writer when I was 17. I felt like a successful writer when I was 22. I always felt like it because a successful writer is somebody who has who's doing their work, you know, who's who's making their art and who has, in my opinion, a kind of healthy relationship with it. Mm -hmm. It's just that lately you guys started calling me a successful writer. But I'm going to feel like one long after you stop calling me that too, because I have a contract with this work for the rest of my life. And it feeds me and it expands me and it animates me. And that's where my success lies. And I'm so happy and grateful to be the recipient of the material success as well. It was never a condition of the work. Mm -hmm. And and I will never make it a continuing condition of the work. And that's that's how I honor, I think, the very best part of me. And I know that you do too. Mm -hmm. You know, it's funny because I was just over at my friend Lisa Ross, who's this amazing photographer, right? And she's shown all over. She's in galleries. And, and we were having a little hummus and she said, I got to show you something. She goes, right now I'm making really bad art so I can make good art. And I was like, what do you mean? I was like, your art is never bad. And she goes, no, I'm kind of going through a thing. She goes, and so she walked me into her gallery and it was really bad. It was like, you know, it was like cutouts and, and she was like, don't, don't judge this. And I'm like, I would never judge it. You're making art. And she goes, I'm kind of going through this thing. She goes, but I know that I have to go through this in order to break through the next threshold. And I thought that was just so confident and interesting and so beautiful of a successful artist to be like, 
I'm just going to go through and make some shitty work. Right. Right. So I can break through and make some, so it can take me to the next level so I can make some really good work. And that's kind of how I feel. It's like write a crappy song. The next song is going to be amazing, you know? Yeah. But you don't judge any of it because just the fact that I'm making a crappy song, I'm a successful songwriter. Nothing more successful than the person who is confident enough to be stupid. Exactly. Exactly. And to to be at risk. So, Betsy, um, that's our little audio message to you and to everybody who is like you. That's the magic lesson of the day. And I hope you can all pursue that with great joy and liberation and unselfconsciousness and grace and self-forgiveness and wonder because that's where the big magic's at. And just rock, Betsy. Just rock, Betsy. She already does. She's got this. <laughs> Rhea Elias, thank you. I love you. You know I love you. Thanks, Lizzie. Rhea Elias is a musician, a filmmaker, a hairdresser, a real estate agent, and a former felon. That's a lot of stuff to put on a business card, but she's had a really big life. She's also the author of an extraordinary book about that amazing life. It's called Harley Loco, a memoir of hard living, hair, and post-punk from the Middle East to the Lower East Side. You should read it. It's pretty extraordinary, and she's pretty amazing. You can find out more about her at RayaElias.com. Thanks for listening. I really hope you'll join me next time. Magic Lessons is produced by MaximumFun.org and Riverhead Books. Michelle Siegel is our producer. Our executive producer is Jesse Thorne. Our theme music is by Dave Cahill. Special thanks to Becky Salatin, Jeffrey Klosky, Michelle Kafopoulos, Lydia Hurt, and Paul Ruest of Argo Studios. If you want to learn more about my ideas on creative inspiration, check out my new book, Big Magic, Creative Living Beyond Fear. It's published by Riverhead, and it comes out September 22nd, 2015. You can find out more information about my comings and goings on elizabethgilbert.com, and you can always find me, personally, on Facebook, because I'm there literally every single day. So let's keep the conversation going. Next time on Magic Lessons, a photographer with a dream of becoming a podcaster.